Thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. I'm Matt Kirkegaard. This week we meet two Kevins, Smith and Quinn, from Bale Breaker Brewing in Yakima, Washington. You'll be seeing a few collaboration beers hitting the market around now, featuring these guys in Bale Breaker Brewing as they were in the country a few weeks ago. I managed to catch up with them at Bolter a few weeks ago, where they were brewing up something with Scott Hargraves, featuring an experimental hop nicknamed Dimples. You can see why in the show notes. We learn all about Balebreaker, the brewery that sits in the hop fields, and why a family of hop growers would want to make beer instead of growing hops. I do apologise for the sound of this episode. I'm not sure what went wrong, but please stick with it as it was a great chat. I hope you enjoy it. Now, welcome to Beer is a Conversation, Kevin Smith and Kevin Quinn, and of course, a uh, good friend of the program, uh, Scotty Hargrave. Hey, nice Hello, to meet you. So, we'll, uh, I might sort of uh, throw the first couple of questions to uh, Kevin Smith and then Kevin Quinn so everyone can recognise your voices, but uh, Kevin Smith, um, head brewer for Balebreaker, co-founder of Balebreaker. Um, we'll get to the beer and the brewery a little bit, but before you were a brewer, uh, you grew up in a hop family. Yeah, so I grew up on a on a hop farm in Yakima, Washington. Um, my great grandparents started our farm back in 1932, um, and we've been continually harvesting hops every year since. Uh, and my my dad took the farm over when he was about 20 years old. Um, so yeah, I grew up right across the street from our picking facilities. You know, playing in the hop fields, uh, drying hops all through my teens and everything before I went to university, and then. Um, and then when I graduated, I was really interested in beer. Thought it would be a good, uh, a good thing to learn learn how to brew. Whether I ended up in beer or in hops, and uh, once I started brewing, I never really left. So, so what, what did you study? Uh, I actually studied uh, <laughs> uh, geographic information systems. I was a cartographer. <laughs> okay, so so you know how to do a map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can, can uh, you, so give us some good directions. Sorry to, to jump in. Could you program my GPS? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got a new Ute the other day, yeah. and uh, I need some navigation tips. I've, I've lost a, lost a step over the years. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You Don't. can probably teach Scotty how to uh, program his VCR as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it's like a <laughs> Ouch. He's a good girl, I mean. Yeah. So yeah, so so you, you what what led you to go from hops to cartography? Um, well, actually, it was uh, <laughs> it was an interesting story. I was, uh, <laughs> Does it involve a girl? No, no, no. no. <laughs> too I, many beers. One yeah, night. No. Uh, oh. too many beers most nights. And then, uh, I was I was going there. I wanted to study journalism. The school was a pretty competitive school. I didn't get in, and uh, I was looking at essentially questioning whether or not I wanted to leave university and just get into hops and brewing when I was like 20. And my mom, basically not so many words, told me that was not an option and that I needed to find uh, a degree. And so once I, I started uh, building maps, I just really enjoyed it. And so it was a good way to pass a couple of years. And I was studying brewing on the side, not like in a proper university. And then uh, right when I when you Got say study, degree. was that the, the average Australian university student make knocking up some homebrew yeah. to get cheap beer? So is that what you call studying? Uh, yeah, that was part of it. I mean, it was, it was a little bit of that and then uh, reading a lot of, of the literature and stuff like that. And then I'd come back to the hop farm in the summers and start meeting a lot of brewers uh, through that and kind of picking their brains. And then when I was 22, just started brewing in Seattle and um, 
or started washing kegs and doing cellar work and stuff like that, and worked my way up to brewer within probably about six months or so. So how long, how long ago was that? Uh, that would, would have been about nine years ago. Late 2010, I guess, is when I started started brewing. Was October 2010. And how about uh, you, Kevin Quinn? Um, so, so you're a co-founder of Barbreaker as well, but you've uh, gone from brewing more to the sales, marketing, uh, jack of all, doing everything else. Yeah, yeah. So um, Kevin and I are brother-in-laws. So I'm, I'm married to uh, his sister Megan, and so before we went in, um, Megan and I had careers in in other. Um, in other industries and and we had and what were they uh i did i did restaurant development for a franchise i was the dire- director of franchise development for a restaurant franchise back in the states uh and megan uh did it consulting um and we did not live back back in yakima we lived in idaho actually um and then so kevin had, had graduated from college uh, we'd already been kicking around the idea of starting a brewery. So, how did you guys? You, you met through the um, marriage or connection? Or the yeah, when I yep, yeah, when I started uh, dating his uh, sister, we had we had met. He was young. He's six yeah, years younger probably, than me. He's yeah, like, probably like, only like thirteen or fourteen or something. Like that. <laughs> um, did you lock him? Like, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm still warming up to him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we had talked about you know possibly starting a brewery um, over a number of years. Uh, their older brother Pat had already gone back and was learning the farming side, taking over the farming side from Mike. He actually and, worked with my brother before. Yeah. See, before you went to Idaho and started developing restaurants, you guys worked in, in finance, finance together. together. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'd done quite a few things, and then. Uh, we had started going to CBCs, craft craft brewers. Did you brew at this stage? So because yeah. you, you came from a non-hop growing, non-brewing background. Correct. Yeah, and then when we, um, yeah, so but we all started kind of picking up home brewing when I was in college. Yeah. So Pat got a home brew set uh, for Christmas, and then when I, then I got one for myself, and then yeah, we'd go back. Um, yeah, I mean, same thing you see. It was like a. We call them turkey fryer burner. It's like a portable uh, propane burner in a big, you know, seven-gallon uh, stainless steel pot, and would would make the beer. And then I I was traveling a lot, uh, and so on a weekend I'd fill up like four carboys, and then Megan would kind of watch over it as I was like gone for the week, and then I'd get back and you know dry hop and whatever, and then go and modify a freezer into like a four keg, uh, a four tap uh, kegerator. Right, yep. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, and then I was getting closer, uh, to 30 and we had, um, we started getting in my late twenties, we started getting more serious about the planning of the brewery. And then, um, their older brother, Pat was actually getting a, uh, master's in business and then a master's in, um, agricultural economics, um, and for a, a final project for his MBA, they needed to write a business plan on a agricultural-based company, and so that was Pat actually wrote a, a business plan to start a brewery on on the hop farm. Um, and so, you know, after after looking at that, we we talked Mike into um, helping us get the get the funding to start the brewery, and then in uh, 
I guess March of 2012. So Mike being my uh, father. Yeah, your dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mike Smith. So, so, so how my, many generations hop growing have we got? In uh, so the Smith I guess family? my uh, my brother and sister and I would be the fourth generation. So and your family was one of the original families in the Yakima Chief. Yeah, yeah. So my my dad helped start Yakima Chief. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess I was back in the early 90s. Yeah, like, 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Hop Union kind of came out of that idea. He was a part of that. And then now just recently in the last couple of years, Hop Union and Yakima Chief re-emerged. And, yeah. um, and so, yeah, he's, he's been along along for that whole ride. So was it a case of your older brother went into the, the family business, you had to find something else? Or was it a, uh, was it a, a choice? A little bit of that, of, uh, yeah. Slightly. I mean, the, the farm wasn't as big as it is now. And so there would, may not have been like an, a ton of room for my brother, sister, and I. Um, all on the farm, and so that's why we're, we're trying to get a little bit creative. Now, my brother's actually doubled the size of our farm, so there'd probably be enough room for us now. Uh, but we're, I don't want to go back to farm, and I like making beer too much. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about Bale Breaker, um, because I, I haven't been there, but I understand it sits right in the middle of the hop fields, essentially, so it's a... Uh, yeah. W- w- when you make fresh hop beers, literally yeah. from the uh, field... Yeah, our, the our fresh hop beer takes about seven minutes to get it from the picking machine into the kettle. Uh, a little bit quick, yeah. If you're uh, abiding by all the yeah. the laws of the road, uh, but no, yeah, we the uh, the brewery sits on about uh, is it about a thirty acre field? Almost we took down about yeah. yeah, we took down about five acres or so to build the brewery, and uh, so it's a uh, it's a great setting. Kind of our our valley is really known for its winemaking, and so it kind of feels a little bit like winery being amongst you know the vineyards and stuff like that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a great setting to make beer. We're the only commercial craft brewery on a commercial hop farm, and so we're the only we're the only craft brewery in the U.S. that actually sub- can, grows and supplies all their own hops. And I haven't tried your beers, but I'm guessing you're not making kettle sours or anything like that. Not uh, many. <laughs> <laughs> those those aren't our flagships. Yeah, so we do. Uh, we have five year round beers. One is actually a uh, a coffee stout, but um, we have a we have two IPA, Top Cutter IPA is our flagship. It's about 55, 60% of our sales. Then uh, Field 41, which is the hop field that the brewery's in. It's in field number 41. Um, that's a pale ale that's really more like a, se- a it's really a session IPA. Um, and then we have a second IPA, Leo de May, that's named after uh, their great grandmother who her and, her and her husband, BT uh, Loftus started, started the farm back in 32. And then we have an Imperial IPA bottom cutter. Um, and then Dormancy is our, our breakfast stout. And then actually while we've been uh, here in Australia and New Zealand, we launched um, a rotator IPA series. Um, and the first one is actually uh, a session IPA. I'm guessing hops are all likely grown or do you uh, ever send yeah. out for hops? Do we see any uh, Australian hops, for example? We, yeah, we've brewed with some Australian hops. It's a little bit harder to get some of that stuff over over in the states but we'll we're we use probably about 98 percent of the hops we use we actually grow on our farms themselves and then uh, and all of our year-round beers use all of our own hops. yeah all of our all of our flagships use 100 percent our, our own hops um but we have a we have a small system a five barrel brew house and uh on that we play with anything that we can get our hands on just kind of r d and just for fun well, there we make kettle sours and stuff like that <laughs> oh you, you do <laughs> yeah. so yeah i wasn't sure that when you have a brewery that being the closest yeah. to a hop field, 
whether you might be it other than hops. Yeah, I mean, it's not what we pride ourselves on, but sometimes we get bored and yeah. make something crazy like that. We also, though, it's not like we use a high percentage of our hops at all. I mean, uh, last year we did just over 3 million liters of beer, but it we only used about like maybe one, I mean, less than 2% of the total hops that we harvested, we used ourselves. So, like with the collab we're doing here with Balter today, we have hops off our farm here, but like, you know, 98, 97% of the hops end up in in the beer industry. Um, and of those, about 90 or 90, yeah, 90% or so actually end up in the craft brewing industry, whether it's domestically for us in the U.S. or, or wor worldwide. And when you look at the, the brewery and what you want to achieve, is it a case of... Um, you love brewing and use local hops, or is Bale Breaker um, a vehicle to showcase the hops you grow and show what's possible with them? No, I mean when we when we actually started, we were um, we were very careful to actually really play down the relationship of you know the, the hop farm and us because we knew that we were going to use such a small percentage of our hops, and we didn't know how the other brewers were going to react to you know, uh, a hop grower, you know, that they get hops from now starting a brewery and how they would, how they would receive that. Um, and so we really made it as a, um, as a vehicle to showcase Yakima Valley as, you know, one of the premier, if not the premier hop growing region in the world. And to, yeah, just, just showcase, you know, the Yakima Valley and, and, and it being such a great hop growing region. The US now has 7,000 breweries and yeah. we've seen you know, even some of the big pioneers uh, such as New Belgium off 10% as smaller breweries come in and sort of start mowing their lawn um, sort of thing. And so breweries are really having to start telling a story. Is, is provenance a big part of the story of Bale Breaker? You know, yeah. that, that you do use. Yeah. Now we've switched it considerably, you know, uh, in mid-April we'll be six years old um, we've got a very good response from, from all of our, our peers in the industry. They know that we're using a very small percentage of the hops. And so, yes, now we've, now we've kind of changed our, our marketing message and approach to, to being uh, much, much closer correlated to, to the farm. And, and, yeah, like you said, I mean, when we opened in, in April of 2015, there was just over 2,000 breweries in the U.S., right, in the last, you know, Five plus years, five thousand breweries have opened. So, like you said, we're um, we're we're having to to figure out how how to you know how to show people how we are unique, and we do have a great story. We we are the only people that grow all of their own hops for their beers. We are the only you know commercial craft brewery on, on a commercial hop farm. So now we're now we're we're telling that story um, now. But at the beginning, we we were. We were kind of afraid of what the reaction from from the brewing industry was going to be. Scotty, when you think about uh, growing hops, would you love to have Baltus in the middle of a hop field, or did you think that makes a big? Oh, I think that would be a massive advantage. <laughs> but as as a um, brewer, um, would would you see that there was a competitive uh, advantage to, to to doing that, or would? Well, you'd like to think you'd have guaranteed supply, but when when you hear what the Kevins say, like. They're only using one or two percent of their own yield themselves. So. Do you guys have to contract? Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> oh, you do. So yeah, you, so we you actually, need to lock in your we contract with Yakima Chief, essentially, so they know what to expect on the politizing runs, get it all scheduled in, and everything like that. Um, we select all of our hops off of our farm, 
send them to Chief, and then they'll process them and, and store them for us and everything. And it has its benefits and drawbacks a little bit, I guess. The, the benefit is, you know, we get to see the hops the whole harvest season. We can the whole you know, growing season, or the whole growing season, and kind of eyeball fields that we know are really good, and kind of keep our eye on them. And we might have first dibs on that, but also we only select. Does this get released in the U.S.? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we we only select hops off of two farms, you know, where a lot of other brewers, you know, they can come and they'll, you know, smell and find the best hops off of, you know, a few dozen different farms they can smell from, and, and we just we just limit ourselves to our farms because it helps with our story and, and stuff like that. Must mean you're pretty careful about growing them well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would imagine because you got no one else to blame. Yeah, exactly. No, it's very true. Uh, Luckily, I. I trust my dad and brother. They're pretty good farmers. <laughs> and they and the other thing is, uh, we use a lot of proprietary hops, right? Citrus, Simcoe, Mosaic, Equinot, uh, Warrior, all these, all these, you know, hops that came out of private breeding programs. And when that happens, the the farm never actually owns the hop, right? Yeah. So even though we're growing all of these, we couldn't like Mike couldn't be like, oh well, I'm going to cut you guys a deal because. Loftus Ranches doesn't own those hops. It's owned by the breeding company. Yep. So they have to go back to the breeding company and go through. So um, like Kevin says, our, our biggest advantage is we get to see the hops all the way through. And then we get to see every every field, every lot that goes through. Um, we can smell them. We can figure them out. We can see how they were dried. You know, all this stuff um, that most people don't get to do because their people aren't there for all of harvest right but there's also like in that as well there's your own philosophy and what you guys think mm -hmm. are magnificent hops someone else is going to pass over because mm -hmm. that's just yeah. how it works you know? no. every every brewer has a different perspective and certainly a different genetic makeup a different palate a yeah. different intention when they're smelling and rubbing hops and what they're going to do no, that's very so, true i mean i have a lot of <clears throat> you know what i look for in simcoe or citra oftentimes is different than, you know, one of one of my friends who I think, you know, extremely highly of his beer and we're looking for two completely different things in the exact same variety and so. But, but that, that uh, raises a great point. You know, different brewers use hops very differently even within a geographic area. Um, you've had a, a week or so in Australia so far. Have you got any observations about the way that Australians are using, Australian brewers are using hops uh, even the, the, the Acoma Chief Hops that, that you know very well. Are you noticing that they're using them um, differently for their beers to, to express those hops differently than you would? To be honest, I think that a lot of the, at least the beer, you know, we've just been on the east coast of Australia, the, the beer that we've been tasting over here reminds me a lot of the beer on the west coast of America. Um, it seems like we use a lot of very similar um, hopping techniques, kind of the same philosophies uh, behind making hoppy beer, pale, you know, pale hoppy beer and things like that. Um, I've been been very, very impressed. The beers over here have been fantastic. Uh, but I've also hung out at Balter a lot, so that's easy to... <laughs> <laughs> Their beers are fantastic, obviously. But uh, well, have, you, have you noticed that there is that there are any particular um, trends over here that aren't big in the States, or vice versa, state, uh, trends that are big in the, the, the US that haven't quite landed here? I, I mean, I would say the biggest thing that I've seen in, is... Um, or maybe it's maybe it's just nomenclature or whatever, but it seems like there's a lot more pale ales here. Uh, pale ales in the states is a, I mean, you have your your behemoths like Sierra Nevada pale ale and stuff like that, but um, 
for your for your smaller craft craft brewers, um, not not a huge not a huge market. Pale ales, I mean, everything's IPA, um, and so um, yeah. So I, I I see a lot more pale ales. It's not necessarily like a you know a trend or anything that would be groundbreaking, but I see that on the west coast of the states, there's a lot you know maybe a little bit higher alcohol percentage and percentages in the beer um it may not be that may you know that's just a, i think a preference of con- consumers well that, that's preference. exactly what's going to come to us so i was just going to um kevin queen was going to uh, hold that thought because that, that is a big thing here is that our method of taxing beers means that the higher the alcohol the higher the percentage um tax in yeah. that beer yeah. as well so there's almost a that the government's forcing um, lower alcohol beers on us because they're cheaper to produce and we are com- compared to the US a much higher cost um, yeah, yeah, uh, anyway yeah. um, so do, 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 I, mean, I guess without knowing our local political climate you, you have noticed that we tend to sort of have a lower alcohol yeah, um, core range yeah it kind of like seems like your guys or it seems like a lot of the beers you know are kind of in the maybe upper fours to up to like six percent, where in the states a lot of it's you know between mid five percent to mid seven percent, something like that, and it's just kind of. And with IPA being so huge, I mean, it's still the it's still the largest you know category in terms of style, and I mean it's growing at a very healthy like double digit rate too. So you got your largest style growing, and I mean you're not going to find many IPAs that are under six percent. Yeah. They're becoming more popular, but the main like bulk of IPAs in the states are yeah. Does six, that does that mean a typical um, session down at the pub means two beers instead of four or five? Or? Typically, yeah, you I'd are, say yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things we as brewers and stuff and people that spend a lot of time in the pubs and the breweries because you know that's just where our line of work is. We all tend to favor the lower alcohol beers because we could like to have a session where we're able to have more, but I think the typical consumer goes into you know a restaurant and might have might have two beers, so they're kind of looking for more for their bang for their buck, I guess. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know what the currency change is, but like I mean, seventy cents at the moment. Yeah, so I mean, in, and in the states, I mean, especially in bigger metropolitan areas, right? We're from Washington State, so you go over to Seattle, Washington. You know, it's not unheard of to pay six fifty or seven dollars for a pint of beer, and so that also drives the like if you. People are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to spend seven dollars and fifty cents for a four point eight percent alcohol beer, right? It's like, so yeah, that kind of like a bit of a bargain over here. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, know. you know, you're right because over here that'd almost be seen as promoting excessive consumption. I mean, you know, when when the price, you're not allowed to. I thought somewhere I'd read once that you're not allowed to discount your your normal price by any more than twenty percent when you're yeah. having a promotion. Well, you're not allowed to promote price, so that, that, that's yeah. why. Um, I, stand to be corrected here but you can't have a price board on your brewery or on your bar that can be seen from outside the venue because that can be associated with uh, discounted drinks so there's a whole lot of legislative things around here but the I mean tax and our drink driving laws um, because apparently tight asses drink well <laughs> but, but we also Without do have a jokes. culture, you know, if one is good, ten is better, yeah. um, which might be a little bit different um, to the US. And again, I, I need to get over again because I have noticed that we have seen, um, at least in media, 
a lot more focus on session beers or you know sort of the, the more sessional beers and also lagers. There's a lot of talk about it, and some big breweries are doing you know lower alcohol beers, um, you know the the healthier for you beers and the and the lower alcohol beers. But in terms of like looking at overall sales trends, at least in the north, northwest, you know, in Oregon and Washington, where we where we sell beer, um, the sales data doesn't support that i mean it's not a you know like founders all day ipa like you know you look at it nationally the numbers are enormous like but you know our distributors some of our distributors distribute founders and so we can see the numbers and like the numbers are not in in the northwest they're nothing like they are nationally how, how different is the northwest uh, is, is the northwest representative of the rest of the market because it's a little bit of a rarefied um craft beer bubble isn't it it's you know because i think portland's 50 percent of Beers consumed in Portland are uh, craft beers. Or yeah, like yeah. And, and, I think yeah, it's close and, to like almost. And we're close wanna, to that in yeah. Seattle too. Yeah, I was gonna okay. say, like Seattle and Portland, it, it might be something close to like a third of all beer consumed in the cities is an IPA. Yeah, it's an outrageous. Like, um, so that, that, that's just mind-boggling yeah. to sort of sit yeah. here and uh, even Brisbane, um, you know, craft beer is maybe three uh, percent of the market, yeah. um, and that's all craft beers, not just uh, IPAs. And I don't know how close we are, but I knew that I know a couple of years ago the the Brewers Association came out with they they wanted twenty percent by twenty 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 percent of the the market the beer market in the U S to be craft beer by twenty twenty. I don't know how close we're getting I think to there. They stopped talking about it because breweries started being bought the big breweries yeah. started getting bought out, yeah. and leaving the sales figures. So you'd sort of be getting up there, then you'd drop. That is one unique thing, I guess, in terms of difference. Um, that we see saw it also in the uk when i was uh there in the fall with with pat kevin's older brother um it doesn't really seem like you know here in the state in the states there's such a stigma like if you sell to ab or you sell to miller coors you know it's like you know you're you're kicked out of the fraternity like you know get out no you know um the real savvy craft consumers are not going to buy your beer uh, i mean a, a huge bump that we got to our beer sales in the Seattle market happened because Elysian sold to ABI and there were so many of the independent craft beer bars and restaurants took Elysian off tap and we had you know we'd been in Seattle for like a year and you know so we were having some good buzz and we got I mean I think nearly all of our permanent handles that we ended up getting in Seattle because that's such a rare thing in the states too it's you know everything's rotated you put a keg on it rotates off put a keg on it uh goes off but was because the lesion sold now i know i, I would love to sort of uh, dig a little bit more into this but i know that we scotty's constantly glancing at phone because we and at the timer because we are in the middle of their collaborative brew so just in case scotty has to run off scotty maybe you can tell us a little bit about the collaborative brew that uh, Bolter is doing with our uh, bell breaker uh yeah the guys reached out a little while ago so they were coming uh coming down to say hello. So uh, the two Kevins and young Tom Northwood, who's a, I think a Lismore native or Northern Rivers boy, um, come out with the guys and uh, we started to talk about, yeah, having a beer. We got Ryan from Yakima Chief involved and uh, the guys sent out some um, some snazzy hops for us. There's uh, an experimental hop called 630 we're going to use in the beer today. Nickname Dimples. Dimples, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty cool hop, and um, it's, I guess a couple of you listen, listeners might know how uh, 
I've managed to, you know, sort of make friends with Jason uh, Peralt. He, it was one of the hops they, he showed me. They've heard that there. they've been a fly on the wall to your bromance uh, interview <laughs> with him. So, uh, yeah. But <laughs> so even in the, the wishful way you said that. Yeah, you, you know, I've got, got fond memories. Of, <laughs> you know. My they send me photos of him drinking our beer. I love that, you know. It's, it's, it's just a... It's just awesome, and you yeah. know, making friends with these guys, and we've we've had a ton of laughs in the last twenty four hours, and a lot yeah. of beer, and a lot of sweating while we're making a beer. So it's awesome, yeah, and, that's, well, well, and that's what this is really welcome about. Welcome to autumn in uh, yeah. in Queensland. Yeah, yeah. No. So uh, yeah, you know, and and it's I guess it's a way for us to have a look at six thirty and see what it's like, and use some of these guys, uh, the, the two Kevins, use their insight because um, uh, this hop was grown on their farm and come out of there own personal stock that they had to buy back off Yakima Chief. So <laughs> otherwise, well, I wouldn't have got to see it. So it's, it's pretty awesome, actually. And, and that, that is an interesting uh, point. Like, you, you come from a background in concreting, um, passion, <laughs> you know, no, 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 not, not sound as cool as hot farming. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it. It's more wrong with that. No, it's useful, like, though, when you're building breweries, so. Yeah, yeah, I've got a pretty good floor. <laughs> yeah, right? But when you, actually, uh, just a... Um, I've got to follow up. Uh, I was in WA the other day, and one of the uh, small craft brews over there is a former concreter as well. So we want to do a concreter collab. Yeah, um, sounds all right. Yeah. We got to what, do a shed slab somewhere. Can <laughs> <laughs> put sand in it? <laughs> well, no, I meant brewing Some sand. Beer. But anyway, uh, but but when you come from a background and so you you, you had a trade, discovered craft brewing at the Wigan Pen, um, got into it, but you came from a background outside of agriculture, outside of brewing and uh, everything you've learned has been from your deep passion for to better understand ingredients. Is, 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 is there a different approach that comes from that background and somebody that has grown up in and around hops with the, 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 the way you view ingredients or you know, can you learn a lot from that background? Or um, I, I guess for these guys they might have a bit more insight than I would have but my whole thing is uh, like my grandparents were farmers so I do come from farming stock so that's probably part of that initial you know as, as we've spoken before Matt that first time I smelled a mash and it was so primal but so familiar it was like holy shit I'm, I'm home like and I'll never understand that apart from maybe it's some genetic thing I'm not sure but my, my um, both my grandfathers you know uh, were from the land in central New South Wales so um, you know concreting was I grew up in a country town before we moved to Canberra I grew up in Young and you know that's just surrounded by cherry trees and and stone fruit and you know these guys got cherries and apples in Yakima as well you know so agricultural community background and agricultural community backgrounds will be probably not that different but yeah. for me as far as the concrete thing that was just I don't know I just woke up one day and I'd been a concreter for 10 years and I was like holy shit how did how did this happen this wasn't I didn't intend this yeah. and the, but when I became a brewer this is the first thing I've actually the first career move that I've actually went, well, this is what I actually want to do. Yeah. And I wake up, wake up this morning going, yeah, I'm a brewer, and I meant that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. One of those things, too, when you wake up and you do what you want and what you mean to, it's easier to have a passion about it, too. Yeah, yeah. And you're sort of driven not so much by, oh, there goes the alarm, I've got to get up. It's quite often, it's, you, you, for me anyway, like my head's already full of, got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do that, I've got to do that, because beer is the master. Yeah, from exactly. A lot of conversations I have with you, uh, you wake up here quite often. And it, we, we're sitting in Bolter Brewing and you, you, you wake up here more than... 
I am. I'm going to wake up here tomorrow, actually. But that's on purpose. It's, uh, so, so, yeah, tell us about the beer. So you're using uh, experimental hops, some of the uh, Yakima Chief hops, to, yep. to make what style? Uh, an IPA. IPA, yep. yeah. 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 We're using some different, uh, we use some hop extract, so it's like uh, um, you get your uh, kind of a, a loosely packed uh, hop pellet, you run uh, liquid CO2 through it, and it, it extracts all the all the lupulin and and um, stuff out of the hops, leave behind all the all the bracken stuff. It's like a concentrated like syrup, um, really efficient. Um, we use it um, a lot for for the bittering side. Um, we actually haven't used Simcoe extract, although it smells amazing. Um, then we also have um, another newer type of hop products. Uh, they're called cryo hops. It's essentially the, the same thing. It's concentrating those lupulin glands, but instead of using liquid CO2 um, run through the hops, um, they actually get like frozen and then and then the lupulin glands kind of like, you know, sifted out, filtered out, and then remade into a pellet that, that looks exactly like your standard T90 pellet. Um, so not only do we have some cool new hops, we get some, um, we get some different, you know, more refined hot products, I guess. Or but that in itself is quite fascinating because when you go back, um, I, I wrote an article a year or so ago when Brute IPAs first came out because there was a time when using enzymes in the brewers was the hallmark of the big brewers. And um, mm -hmm. it was just absolutely frowned upon. And hop extracts were sort of in that um, ballpark as well. You know, only the big brewers use hop extracts. And yet we've seen um, the, the growth of craft hop extracts. Um, yeah and that they've been embraced. And when brewers talk about it, you talk about it's much more efficient. Um, and the other thing I've heard a lot of brewers say is it makes your beers more replicable. It, it takes out some of the, the, the variation out of it, which can only be a, a, a positive thing, but does that have implications for notions of craft, for example? You know, craft is meant to be, oh, well, we just do this, we do that. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it, there's a little bit of both in there. Part of why I like, I like using extract and big hoppy beers, IPAs and double IPAs is is you aren't losing as much beer uh, to like the plant matter itself. Um, gives you a little more leeway to add some hops later in the process, I guess. Um, or I guess make more beer, but uh, I'm not in the business of making more beer. So just packing more hops into the beer. Uh, and so it, it's kind of like, you it must know, it's be a nice spot to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it just kind of gives you that Ability to not like overload your system, overload your fermenters, overload your brew house with uh, with kind of plant matter. Um, kind of gives you a little bit of leeway if, if you want to do some like bigger whirlpool charges or dry hop charges later on. Have you played much with the the extracts and the cryo hops? Uh, cryo hops, yes, and lupulin powders, yes. Um, not the syrup before, but I mean the, the thing about these things is it just gives you another avenue to be creative. Really, I think like you know and the. The idea, particularly with the cryo pellets and the powder, was you, you're getting rid of a lot of vegetative matter, so you're going to get a, a a purer, cleaner uh, version of the of the hops. And I remember when I first played around with the powders, like a lot of people, it was very hard to get them in solution. Mm -hmm. So, and even with the uh, the N2, the cryo pellets is uh, I still will sort of a lot of times like when I use them, use normal pellets as well because you've got to get a bit of grit in there. Yeah, the, definitely. The cryo yeah. pellets are really quite. Uh, not elegant isn't like refined in a there's a there's a real smooth beauty to them and sometimes you just need to get a little bit of mongrel back in there yeah you know? definitely and it's, uh, but that's that's being creative with it it's not mm -hmm. just going oh 
the Yakima chief guy said you do this, and you, you've got to work a lot of this stuff out for yourself. And as yeah. far as the extract goes, I'm just really keen to see does the Simcoe extract, you know, it, will it express itself the way a bunch of pellets would have, you know. When you consider what the big guys do, and a lot of that is post-fermentation bitterness, you know, that's, that's, that's dosing right in at the end, either before or usually after filtration or whatever, and it's a, that's a whole different concept to why we're doing it. You yeah. know? This, yeah. this is about playing around and, and experimentation. It's not sort of cold, clinical, we can make an extra 7.2 litres out of this. It's a, it's a different concept. This is about discovery, really. Yeah. And brewing should be. Like, that's what I really... That's what drove me in the very early days of my brewing was was discovery. I had had some of the best brewers in the amateur brewers in the country say, "Yeah, you're getting good. Do you want to have a look at my recipe book?" And I'd be like, "No, nah, I'll figure it out." And it wasn't meant to be arrogant. It yeah, was, you know, it's like it's. Yeah. So I know you guys need to race off to uh, to get back. You've got to. Yeah, we're just about to turn the kettle off and spin the wort. And so just very quickly, do we have a name for the? We're doing about ten kegs of the IPA. Have we got a name or we're keeping that under wraps? No, Dimples. Dimples? Okay, so it's been called Dimples IPA. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's perfect with their logo. They already got the smile on there. You just need to add a couple dimples on the side. <laughs> it was it was better than bum crack. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't think that one would fly. Yeah, but if you look at the if you uh, yeah, if you get get to have a look at some six thirty, you'll understand why, because it's a very unique looking hop. Well, we'll post a photo of that in the show notes. The yeah, line will send and, that through. And, and the name Dimples will make total sense. As for Bale Breaker, is this a voyage of discovery where we might see Bale Breaker beers crossing the Pacific? Or this was a little bit of a... <laughs> that does look like a... It was almost peachy. I've just been handed a... Uh, picture hand, of a so we'll get a copy of that so we can uh, sort of share it with everybody so it's not an inside joke. But, uh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it could be. I mean, one of the like greatest things about the craft brewing industry and, you know, people ask, you know, kind of what, why why did you like leave a career that was that was perfectly fine and do this? Like when you get into involved in the craft brewing industry, like we were able to meet a bunch of brewers and stuff through through the hop farm, like it's such a cool industry to be in and there's and there's great people and I mean, I, I love what the, their little slogan they have on the back of their high-vis stuff that says, like, beer got us here. It's like we've, through hops and, and craft beer, we've brewed beer all over the world. We've met all sorts of awesome people like Scotty. And um, it's so cool that, I mean, all of this is brought together by freaking beer, for crying out loud. Um, and so it's awesome. We've, we kind of, uh, we talk about it when we go on these trips. We're like beer, beer without borders, brewing without borders. We'll go, we'll go brew beer anywhere, and that's so cool about about beer in this industry and and what opportunities it, it opens up to us. Again, beer is a conversation, and I could uh, keep talking for hours, but you guys have uh, dimples to make. Yep. So, uh, Kevin Smith, Kevin Quinn, Scotty Hargrave, thank you very much for joining us on Beer is a Conversation. Uh, I'll we'll have to venture down to the Volta uh, Tap Room to try dimples. Um, in four weeks, uh, so th this will come about come out just about time. So if you're lucky, if you're in the area, um, you can try to see what dimples taste like. Otherwise, how far away is dimples from production? <laughs> well, you, we, we got to plant a lot more acres at 6:30 because okay. right now there's only three acres of it. So right. okay, so we're well away. Yeah, but guys, thank you very much. Yeah. Congratulations. Cheers. Thank team. you. Hopefully, yeah. uh, we've got vague dreams of uh, getting the, the Beards Conversation team over. 
uh, to, to check out the brewery. Um, get, come get out, get over yeah. for a harvest. So we'll look forward take to you, checking we'll out. Yeah. Come over when I'm going over. You know that's going to be a thing. Yeah. So uh, you you mean Pete doing a sideways style tour of uh, the, the northwest? Yeah. I've heard of worse concepts. <laughs> Good on you guys. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. And that was Scott Hargrave with Kevin Smith and Kevin Quinn from Balebreaker Brewing. If you live near Bolter, you'll be able to duck into the tap room to try their beers. The rest of us, unfortunately, will miss out. But hopefully the conversation was filling enough. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. Thank you.